This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we come today to the end of our prayerful consideration of this extraordinary sixth chapter of John's Gospel. I mentioned to you that every third summer we have the privilege of reading through this chapter in our Sunday Gospels. Last week we considered the climax of the chapter, which is Jesus teaching on the real presence. As we saw, he tells his listeners, unless you gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I'm saying gnaw because of the Greek word trogain as opposed to phagain. Phagain means to eat in the usual way, like eat around a table. But trogain has the sense of gnawing, the way animals eat. So given the chance to soften his language, Jesus, in fact, makes it harsher, makes it more difficult to believe. We remarked how shocking, how even revolting this kind of language would be to a first century Jewish audience who took for granted that the eating of an animal's flesh with blood is forbidden. Well, today we have, if you want, the denouement of the story. And it's fascinating at many levels. And every aspect of it, I think, is, is worth our careful attention. What we hear now in the wake of this, this great teaching and then the, then the reaction to it and then Jesus' reiteration of it, we hear that many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Here's the first thing I want you to notice. We're talking here about Jesus' followers, not about his enemies. These are his disciples. These are people who are predisposed to like him. And yet, they find this teaching impossible to take. Knowing their murmuring, Jesus says, does this shock you? Again, he's not trying to explain it away. He's not trying to make it easier. He just says, look, does it shock you? Remark, first of all, that if his words were meant to be taken in a symbolic sense, they would not have had this explosive, shocking effect, right? I mean, if what he meant was simply, 
my body is like food, or this bread is a symbol of my body, why in the world would there have been such a strong reaction? Jewish scriptures deal in poetic metaphor all the time. His audiences knew about that. And indeed, Jesus compared himself to a good shepherd, to a vine, to a mother hen. And no one ever walked away from those comparisons indignantly. Why? Well, because they knew he was trading in poetic tropes. The point is that John's trying to hammer home is they had understood him in this context only too well. They knew he wasn't trading in poetic tropes. So, given every opportunity to explain himself better, to clarify his meaning along symbolic lines, Jesus does nothing of the kind. Instead, he upbraids them for their lack of faith. Listen. But there are some of you who do not believe. Friends, this is why the Catholic tradition has throughout the centuries insisted over and against all attempts to soften these words of Jesus that he should be taken straightforwardly. From John 6 on, the Catholic tradition has resisted all attempts to make these words easier to believe. Now, if we want a better understanding of this real presence that the Catholic tradition talks about, we should attend to the words that Jesus uses now in this denouement, in this final speech. Listen to what he says. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. Now, can I suggest, first of all, this does not mean, now take my word symbolically. Don't take them literally. That's not at all what he's saying here, and it's not implied by any means throughout this entire sixth chapter of John. What's he driving at? Well, where did the Son of Man come from? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Well, where was he before? Well, in his humanity, he came, as, as we all do, you know, from the earth. He, he came from ordinary set of circumstances. But in his divinity, he came from heaven. And here's the point. It's precisely because of his divine identity that his words have transformative power. Let there be light. And there was light. Let the earth and the dry land come forth, and they came forth. God's word is not merely descriptive. God's word is creative. Does that make sense? It's a basic biblical intuition. See, our words can be descriptive of reality because our knowledge of reality is derivative. I see what's there, then I come to know it. But see, with God, it's just the opposite. God doesn't see the world and then come to know it. Rather, he knows it into being. It's not as though God 
looks at the world and then speaks truthfully about it. Rather, by his speech, he brings things into truthful being. Which is why the prophet Isaiah, channeling the words of Yahweh, can say, My word does not go forth from me in vain, but rather as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, so my word does not go out from me in vain. It accomplishes its purpose. Well, who is Jesus? What if you saw the Son of Man returning to where he was before? He's not just a worldly teacher or prophet. He's the one who's come down from heaven because he's the incarnation of that same divine word by which the world is made. Which is why when he speaks, things happen. Right? Little girl, get up. And she got up. He wasn't just expressing a velleity. He wasn't just saying, well, I'd love it if, if this little girl came back to life. Rather, he spoke and she came back to life. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. He wasn't just praying, wasn't just hoping. He spoke something into being. See, and this is why he says, everyone, in our gospel for today, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's not saying, oh, I'm just trading in metaphors. That's not the point here. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. God at the creation breathes life into the first human beings. Spiritus, the, the breath, the air of God. The words I speak to you, they're not just, just descriptors. They are spirit and life. They make things happen. Mere human invention, and that's what Jesus means by the flesh, by the way, here. Mere human invention has no power to change things at the root of their being. But the divine word does. What if you were to ascend? What if the Son of Man were to ascend where he came from? Well, then you'd understand that the words I speak to you are spirit and life. See, that's the point here. Now, what follows from these words of the Lord is, for my money, one of the saddest moments in the entire New Testament. Because most of his followers abandoned him. Again, these are not his enemies. These are his friends, his disciples. It's a point of fascination to me that up and down the centuries, the Eucharist has always had this divisive effect in the life of the church. When they hear the teaching on the real presence, many continue to walk away, unable to accept it. The Eucharist has indeed been, throughout the history of the church, a major source of contention, a standing or falling point. Are you with the Eucharistic Christ or are you against him? Now, I know it sounds harsh. I know it does. It was harsh at this talk Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. But there it is. Jesus turns to the 12, his most intimate band of disciples, and he asks them. So mind you, 
most of the crowd has left. And now it's one of the most poignant moments in the whole New Testament because he turns to them as, as apostles. Do you want to leave too? Kind of desperately sad. And even, I would say, a little bit frightening because the entire project of the church might have foundered at this point. His disciples, they all take off, and now his intimate band of apostles, what if they left? The church never would have come into being. And so Peter speaks for the twelve. You see, by the way, this is John's version of the Caesarea Philippi story in the Synoptics, you know, where Jesus asked the twelve, who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks for the group. And see, this is John's version, and the answer in John is functionally the same as the answer in the Synoptics. Listen to Peter now. Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. There's Peter now speaking for the twelve, as he always does up and down the centuries, to Pope Francis. Peter speaking for the twelve. The church, everybody, down through the ages to the present day, has stood with Peter. I know these words are hard to understand about the real presence. I get it. I totally get it. I know it's much easier to read this in a symbolic way. And that's why the crowds left when Jesus wouldn't back down. But Peter speaks for the twelve and continues to speak for the church. He's the only one who has the words of eternal life because he is the word. He's the Holy One of God, and that's why his words have efficacious power. If he were just one prophet among many, one more rabbi, then he could trade in symbolic speech, but he couldn't trade in this kind of speech. You see how, in many ways, the whole of Christianity hinges on this story. Who do you think Jesus is? And therefore, what effect do you think his words have? If he is who he says he is, then his words can have this absolutely transformative effect. That's our Eucharistic faith. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love.